0: This is Day 31, and we're reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Exodus 6 and 7, Leviticus 5, and Psalms 47. Exodus 6, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. "'God also said to Moses, "'I am the Lord. "'I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, "'but by my name, the Lord, "'I will not make myself fully known to them. "'I also established my covenant with them "'to give them the land of Canaan, "'where they reside as foreigners. "'Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, "'whom the Egyptians are enslaving, "'and I have remembered my covenant.'" Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob." I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of their families. The son of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, were Henoch and Pelu, Hezron and Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jemin, Ohad, Jakin, Zoar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These were the names of the sons of Levi, according to their record, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shimea. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These were the clans of Levi, according to their records. Amram married his father's sister Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amrod lived a hundred and thirty seven years. The sons of Izar were Korah, Zepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithr. Aaron married Elisheba, daughter of Imnadad, and sister of Zushan, and she bore him Zadab, and Abu, Elazar, and Ithmar. The sons of Korah were Isir, Ilkanah, and Abisaph. These were the Korahite clans. Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, "'Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions.' They were the ones who spoke of, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt." this same Moses and Aaron. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say, Everything I commanded you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with the mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Perform a miracle, they say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of the Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river, confront him on the banks of the Nile, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. "'By this you will know that I am the Lord, "'but the staff that is in my hand "'I will strike the water of the Nile "'and it will be changed into blood. "'The fish in the Nile will die "'and the river will stink. "'The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. "'Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Tell Aaron, take your staff "'and stretch out your hand over the water of Egypt, "'over the streams and canals, "'over the ponds and all the reservoirs, "'and they will turn to blood. "'Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, "'even in vessels of wood and stone.' Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptians' magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron. Just as the Lord had said, instead he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water, because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Leviticus 5. If anyone sins because they do not speak up when they hear a public charge to testify regarding something they have seen or or learned about, they will be held responsible. If anyone becomes aware that they are guilty, if they are unwittingly touched, anything ceremoniously unclean, whether the carcass of an unclean animal, wild or domestic, or of any unclean creature that moves along the ground, and they are unaware that they have become unclean, but they have come to realize their guilt, or if they touch human uncleanness, anything that would have made them unclean, even though they are unaware of it, but then they learn of it and realize their guilt, or if anyone thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, in any matter one might carelessly swear about, even though they are unaware of it, but then they learn of it and realize their guilt, when anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess it and what they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for them, for their sin." Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. They are to bring them to the priest who shall first offer the one for the sin offering. He is to wring its head from its neck, not dividing it completely, and is to splash some of the blood of the sin offering against the side of the altar. The rest of the blood must be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. The priest shall then offer the other as a burnt offering in the prescribed way and make atonement for them for the sin they have committed and they will be forgiven. If, however, they cannot afford two doves or two young pigeons, they are to bring an offering of their sin as a tenth of an ephath, of the finest flour for a sin offering. They must not put olive oil or incense on it because it is a sin offering. They are to bring it to the priest who shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. It is a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them. For any of these sins they have committed, and they will be forgiven. The rest of the offerings will belong to the priest, as is the case of the grain offering. The Lord said to Moses, When anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning unintentionally, in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, they are to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. It's a guilt offering. They must make restitutions for what they have failed to do in regard to the holy things, pay an additional penalty of a fifth of its value, and give it all to the priest. The priest will make atonement for them with the ram as a guilt offering, and they will be forgiven. If anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though they do not know it, they are guilty and will be held responsible. They are to bring to the priests a guilt offering, a ram from a flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priests will make atonement for them, for the wrong they have committed unintentionally, and they will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. They have been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. Psalms 47, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. "'God reigns over the nations. "'God is seated on his holy throne. "'The nobles of the nations assemble "'as the people of the God of Abraham, "'for the kings of the earth belong to God. "'He is greatly exalted.'" Going back to the staff, interestingly enough, Dr. Carmen points out that that images of Pharaoh, like King Tut, were also depicted with a shepherd's staff and a headdress of a snake. Both the staff and snake are symbols of royal authority. Then God uses Moses' staff to symbolize authority to Pharaoh, as well as turning it into a snake. This staff initiates five plagues, parts the Sea of Reeds, brings water from a rock, and decides the battle against Amalek em- in the book of Exodus. I think it's so interesting how God is speaking to Pharaoh and Moses in the language and culture that they have created to have me- had to have meaning. He is incarnating in the sense that God is embodying his will into and onto the earth and culture. We are able to see his uh, immutable character and who he is as he interacts with the culture he's choosing to interact with and in the language and way that they understand, which is so interesting because I think sometimes we zoom in a little too close to the culture and language and think, oh, God's condoning it or God's condemning it when really he's incarnating in it. We're seeing who he is based on his interaction with it. So Dr. Carmen Imes points to the fact that the confrontation is not freedom for freedom's sake, but to be free for their purpose, to serve Yahweh God. Initially, it's for the purpose of worship, this three-day journey to worship. But ultimately, it's to become a kingdom of priests and a place he has selected to draw close to us. Hmm, For me, this echoes back to Genesis 2 and the Garden of Eden. This is his desire for us throughout, from the beginning all the way through the end of the Bible. God could have done this in a transaction, like freed the Israelites. Really, come on, he's God, <laughs> right? And and we know that he, in the past, with Noah and the flood story or with Sodom and Gomorrah, he can do a, a lot of things, total devastation, fairly quickly. But he he comes and there are 10 times that he gives um, people, specifically Pharaoh, a chance to change. He essentially says this each time. He says, you will know me. You will know me. He says this like every time before, during, after a plague. We see God's relentlessness showing his power specifically in context over Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods and the Egyptian way of life. God is incrementally bringing chaos, which seems more merciful than a flood or a full burn of a full city like Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice in the confrontation, God does not change the will of Pharaoh, but works to get him, Pharaoh, to change his will. And notice how Pharaoh doesn't acknowledge his role in the problem, but he blames the Hebrew people. Um, I'm challenged to consider what God is asking me to let go of when I read this story and reviewing how I can shift blame and not address um, the things God is calling to my attention. I need to ask God for me to let something go and what do I need to let go of in order to worship him well and to put him on display and what I do. Leviticus 5 continues to point to the first and foundational step of atonement before anything else. Now, I know it might sometimes rituals end up seeing like, oh, I have to do all these specific things. Um... And rituals typically have steps and stages. But just like if you're learning a new instrument or a new sport and you're doing all this skill building training or with most rituals, the bigger picture is so that in life, you can in the game, in the whatever it is you're doing, you can thrive and flourish and adapt and bless others and be generous. You're a part of something bigger, right? So it's not ritual for ritual's sake, but the ritual... And this whole thing is is actually pointing to Jesus and his atonement, but it's it's to sensitize us to the fact that we need it, that being freed from slavery, um, being freed from alienation and dislocation, it isn't sufficient on its own. There has to be this reconciliation in order to work towards restoration and redemption. Um, it's not something we can earn. It's something that um, essentially only blood, and we ultimately know it's Jesus's blood, that can cover over. Uh, so costly so to remember the enslavement we are in and come from and to point to our ultimate need for a savior this becomes important because it's so easy to to forget that we're enslaved and ultimately remember genesis three fifteen, the wounded victor he will crush the adversary jesus is the messiah and he's coming and this is um, again pointing back to that it's this thread that gets pulled throughout the whole old testament into the new testament i'm excited to see what happens next